Hi, everyone. This is Catherine Adams. And Elizabeth Wallace. And you're listening to Binary System Podcast number 332. And tonight, we're recapping Welcome to Night Vale number 215, Sarah Sultan Explained. And you know, it's funny. I was worried at the beginning of this episode because it's like what our sister Hannah says. Sometimes things are way cooler when you don't explain things. And, you know, you have like a long running show or something and they go into the mystery of something that's been there for a while. And you're like, oh, I didn't need to hear about that one. I'd completely forgotten about Dr. Uh, Lubell over at the University of what it is and how she's going to explain everything. I should have been worried for a completely different reason. Yeah, that title of this episode is a lot more ominous now because of what ends up happening when Dr. Lubell explains things. So, yes, we start the episode and Dr. Sarah Sultan, who is a smooth fist-sized river rock and the dean of the Night Vale Community College, she's invited Dr. Lubell to come and tour the campus. And... um, I don't know, Dr. LaBelle has like an auto text reply, so she's going to be happy to go over there as soon as she finishes her morning meditation. And then that's not mentioned again. And I'm like, I wonder if that's going to be important later. It might be. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. uh, we go into the news and Cecil says those new murals around the town are great. However, and he's not really sure how to explain this, but they're molting and Mm -hmm. they're like paint is sort of peeling off and underneath it's revealing flesh. So it's, yeah. And the secret police says that uh, the murals, the peeling murals with the gashes of flesh underneath are probably completely safe, but they've evacuated everybody within 100 meters of the new murals. And they are standing with their guns pointed at them saying, don't move like every five seconds. So Cecil feels safe. Uh Uh-huh. Bansky. We, we proceeded to screw that up every time we said every time. Bansky, Bansky, no way to know. Bansky, yes, it's not Banksy, it's the Nightville version. Bansky has disappeared, and the police say that I'm sure he's just visiting his family. I'm sure it's fun. It looks like he like made a hasty exit, so uh, left a note saying something like, I regret nothing. But, yeah, we, yeah, I regret nothing, but I mourn everything. So, <laughs> yeah, we, uh, I think he knows more than he's letting on. So we went from there to the sponsors, and I got to say, the song that played behind the sponsors is one of my favorite dispersion backing pieces. It's this very like flute-like sound. Doesn't show up very often, but every time it shows up, I'm like, oh, I love this one. Yeah, and for the sponsor, okay, so it's a dark room where the darkness doesn't feel familiar, and you sense that something is sleeping in that room, and you hope it never wakes up, but then you bump into a table, and there's a cup of coffee on it. And you drink it, and it's the coffee is fine, and then something wakes up, and you scream for what will be the rest of your life, and then it is Dunkin' Donuts, awaken that which slumbers. <laughs> okay, so fan artists, now we need to have like the Dunkin' Donut logo and done over with that slogan in there. I think that would be awesome. Yes, I want that, absolutely. And I think the Dunkin' Donuts people would be proud to have that as a slogan. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> Uh, so we come back to Sarah is giving Janet a tour of the campus. Uh, she's very proud of the new library, which is completely free of librarians, which is quite a, that's a, quite a feat right there. I'd say so. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, Dr. LaBelle is less interested in the tour and she's more interested in Sarah. She's like, what's this rock doing here? What do you mean it's the Dean? How can it be a Dean? And she grabs Sarah without her permission and takes her back to her lab. And that's, I mean, 
My God, even if you don't acknowledge the fact that Sarah Sultan is the dean of the friggin' college, that's just rude. That's not your rock. No, God, no. I mean, you don't know whose rock it is. You know it's not yours, but <laughs> good Lord. Uh, we go from there briefly to the community calendar. I guess it was the first one the Sky Appreciation Society? Yep, yep. They're going to be meeting in the parking lot of the Ralphs to appreciate the sky. Yep, yep. Um, tomorrow all the ants will leave. Um, we don't know why. Do they know something we don't know? The answer is yes, because ants live a completely different life from us. They probably know a lot of things we don't know. The question is, do the ants know something that we don't know that could possibly harm us? And the answer to that is also yes. Um, on Monday, there will be the baseball game. Come out to the baseball game. That's pretty mm-hmm. much it. Um, Tuesday, yep. there will be the collective sigh of relief. And Cecil is asking everybody to try to be genuinely relieved about something. It works better if you mean it. Okay, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. good yeah. to know. And um, on Thursday, the ghost union is going on strike. And Cecil is urging everybody to not break the picket lines. And Really, all the ghosts want is a safe working environment. I mean, sometimes they're haunting from inside a cabinet that has nails sticking out of it, and that's dangerous. And then the spokesperson finished up by going, ooh, and then disappearing. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Now, that was actually on Wednesday is the ghost union strike, because on Thursday, Thursday is actually being held in reserve in case of emergencies when we might need a Thursday. Okay, I can think of a lot of uh, occasions where I would need a Thursday. I think that's... Very forward thinking right there. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Uh, Friday is a birthday party on another planet, and we will never know that it happened. Nope. It's BYOB, though. We do know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, We went from there to traffic. Um, I don't know. I guess you could probably just say not every trail leads to danger, but some do. Yeah, it's one of those very long poetic descriptions that doesn't really tell you anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we come back to the university of what it is and crowds of faculty have gathered and they are demanding the return of the dean i mean she is a person she is not some object and dr lubell comes out and she really seems kind of baffled because she says well of course she's an object she's a rock and we're performing tests but we're not going to hurt her because there's nothing to be hurt rocks don't have nerve endings and the crowd booed at her and threw rotten fruit which is a particularly night veil way of saying, we don't really believe what you're saying right there. But um, she goes back into her lab surrounded by armed guards and Cecil's like, I didn't, why do they have armed guards? That's weird. But she did say that she will return the river rock once she's finished her study. And Cecil's like, hmm, well, she better. (laughs) So we go from there. uh, We have a quick audio puzzle. It's three different, very common sounds that he plays for us one by one. All sorts of things that, of course, we would absolutely recognize. Uh, I think the first one was scraping the inside of an oven with a very sharp chef's knife. Yep. And the second one is a pelican eating jello, which you probably Mm -hmm. felt kind of silly if you missed that one. And the third one is the sound of the faceless old woman's stomach growling. And Mm -hmm. ever since I read the book, they wrote about the faceless old woman. She is not benign. There's there's nothing benign about the faceless old woman who secretly lives in your home. And I feel like at some point, someone's going to have to deal with her because she's kind of a contagion now. But good book. That was an excellent book. 
And from there, we go back to Dr. LaBelle. Uh, she's back with Sarah, and the crowd is advanced with pitchforks. And Cecil's like, where did they get pitchforks? What's going on here? But, you know, it's really, really super important that we hear Dr. LaBelle's words right now, immediately. But first, the weather. <laughs> the weather, would it started out very kind of almost a lonely kind of garage band sort of sound. And the tempo picked up, but the electric guitar in the background, I love that sort of, that almost spooky sort of echoing electric guitar sound. It's yeah. very cool. So yeah. I like this one. Yeah, it was, I was sort of, I wrote down like, I don't know, indie pop rock, if you had to describe it quickly, but it is Gone by Dimer. So it was nice. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now we get to the real heavy part of the episode because yeah. Dr. Lubell brings out Sarah Sultan and she says, we have run some basic tests. They were not invasive. We are not here to destroy. We are here to explain everything, every mystery. And the explanation for Sarah Sultan is that she is a fist-sized river rock. And that's it. Nothing more. And then she just hands her back off to um, Professor Light, I think, who was um, Sarah Sultan's closest colleague. I mean, I, I remember so. in like in an alternate version, Sarah Sultan had gotten married, but I think she got married to um, Michelle Nguyen of uh, Dark Owl Records. Yeah, so, yeah, I think that was in another universe. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if Sarah Sultan was in a relationship, which would be even worse if she did, because... Sarah Sultan isn't answering anybody anymore. She can't answer because she's a rock. Yeah, Cecil is saying that, you know, she was this wonderful mystery, and Dr. LaBelle has cleared that up. She is just a rock. She can't be the dean. How could she possibly be the dean? She's just a rock. And everybody is just, I mean, ever, it's, it's a tragedy. It's a freaking tragedy. Yeah, because Cecil says he's mourning his friend now because Sarah was... She was funny, and she was clever, and she was a brilliant administrator. And now all of that's gone because she's a rock, so she can't be any of those things. So they're just – the faculty's taking her back uh, to her favorite river, I think, and it's just going to place her in there so that she can be gently worn away down to smaller rocks and pebbles and then sand that just floats down to the sea like a dream. I'm like, oh, my God, there's so much pathos here about a rock. About a rock. It's just, he's like, <laughs> she was funny and clever and a good administrator, and now she's been explained away. Oh, and Cecil boy. said that uh, – he had been worried when Dr. LaBelle first came to town that this is a town that thrives on mysteries and she's intent on clearing them up. And he's really, really upset that he's right. So he ends the episode with stay tuned next for grief and then fear and then revenge. Ooh. Dr. LaBelle better watch out because there are some characters in Nightville that won't survive any better than Sarah did if they're explained yeah. away like... um. Oh, my God. Who's the teenage shapeshifter? I was just thinking, uh, Josh Craner. Josh Craner. Someone keep Josh away from her because she cannot be explaining him because oh, she, it, it will either destroy him or it will remove his ability to be a shapeshifter, which will destroy him. Wow. Oh, um, God. She, uh, um, what is it? Megan, who was a, a, a man's hand. Oh, one, really? yeah. She needs oh, to stay God. away with her tarantula husband and not come no. anywhere near Nightvale. No. no. Oh, um, God, there's there's more people. Well, the faceless old woman who secretly lives in your home. That mm. could be, you know, you better hope that if we want to have a faceless old woman who secretly lives in your home in Nightvale, then keep the doctor away from her. Um, God, there's more. <gasps> Hiram McDaniels. I was just thinking ah! Hiram McDaniels. I mean, 
she would explain him out of existence, or at the very least, I mean, maybe we'd actually find out how he's been doing with the loss of violets. You know, one of his heads is gone. Is it just gone, gone? Is it a zombie? Is it a skeleton? Is it just not there anymore? What's like a ghost? I would love for it to be a ghost. I would love for it to be a ghost too. That was uh, my picture that I drew of um, Mm -hmm. Hiram McDaniels. I think that would be the most elegant solution, but we haven't seen or heard from Hiram McDaniels in a good long while ever since. I mean, he was mentioned several times about uh, his victim when the family of Frank Chen mm-hmm. was trying to get Frank Chen back. They mentioned Hiram, but I don't think we ever saw him. No, I don't No, I didn't. Not even once. So yeah, this, I mean, this is the whole point of Night Vale. Every conspiracy theory or urban legend that you've ever heard of is in some way real in Night Vale. We do not need to get the university of what it is poking their noses into all of our mysteries. Yeah, I think Carlos needs to say something. Yeah. And apparently he worked with her before, so maybe he's got some swag. It sounds like he was about as worried as Cecil was, just with different information. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that's it for Night Vale. I've definitely ended on a bit of a downer note, um, which is fine. It was a good episode. It was a very good episode, yeah. Yeah. Um, In other news, Nathan and I watched another episode of The Sandman. We watched the episode where they went to hell. And uh, yeah, lots of stuff I wasn't expecting. Um, In the original story, and spoilers for both the original comic book and for the TV show, in the original story, he challenges a demon to get his helm back. But then he fights the demon. And in here, the demon chooses Lucifer as his champion. So you got to see the battle between, which I think visually that worked better because I liked who they've chosen to play Lucifer. That was very cool. And, um, And of course, the imagery. I mean, that one shot when Morpheus is walking into Lucifer's castle, mansion, whatever the hell it is, and you pull way back and you just see this towering beam of light between the two doors with Morpheus tiny walking in through the doorway and everything else is black. And I love that sort of imagery. I do too. I thought it was interesting in the original story, you know, they've got one of the demons who's talking to him is speaking in rhyme. In the original story, it's a character called Etrigan. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Where does where does he come from? Because I think that's the only he's a crossover from another comic, and this was the only time I think we ever saw him in Sandman. Yeah, um, I is it Matt Wagner? It's either Matt. I think it's Matt Wagner. He either created Etrigan or he wrote, or he wrote him. And then he Etrigan's also appeared in Alan Moore comic books. So maybe Etrigan yeah. is something that was created that is just being used by the DC universe. Yeah. I mean, no way to know. <laughs> no, there's no way to know. We could look these things up or whatever. But it's funny because even when I remember reading the comic the first time, Etrigan feels like stunt casting. In yeah. there. It's yep. like, oh, well, this is clearly something that doesn't really belong in this world, but it's just come over. Okay, that's fine. It's like if Batman had showed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so it actually worked better in this. It's like, no, we don't, you know, the Etrigan thing is gone. And I think that made things a little more streamlined. So the other half of the story in this episode was Dr. John D making his way to where he stored his ruby. And in the original yes. comic book, he kidnaps a woman at gunpoint and forces her to drive him to the ruby and she develops like pity for him because his mother had died and he obviously he looks very monstrous but she thinks it's because he's sick and everything and she like at one point she tells him that if you hurt me you know my husband's you know in in the mob and he'll you know assassinate you or something like that 
So she lets him go and she just like, you know, she wishes him well. And he says, is your husband really in the mob? And she says, oh, I was just so scared. I just said that to say that. And he said, oh, I don't think that would have mattered anyway. And he shoots her and he kills her. That's how it in the comic book. So as soon as Rosemary came in, who is played by the actress who was the therapist in Ted Lasso? Yes. Which is yes, delightful yes. with her. Yes. You know, so it's her and her woman with her Rottweiler. And she actually almost knocks him down in the road and she picks him up and she's just genuinely nice. I mean, he's obviously kind of in a daze and he's wearing a bathrobe and slippers and everything. And she wants to get him safe. So she takes him along and they talk and they bond. And then he lets her know that he's a multiple murderer. And then she's terrified. Yeah. 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 And that actress, she's this really, she does a really good job. And Hannah, of course, mentioned it the other day. She, uh, I don't remember if you were on that thread where she was like, oh, somebody familiar showed up in this episode. Yay. <laughs> but a very, very good job. Yeah, you can definitely, she really portrayed that, that it was reasonable that she could take a total stranger into her car and like bond with him a little bit. And then also that she would be friggin' terrified, especially after he kills a convenience store clerk who tries to pull a gun on him when she asks for help. And I mean, as soon as this character appeared, I was like, oh my God, oh my God, she's going to die. Oh dear. And we're liking her and this is going to hurt even more. So he gets his ruby and he goes back out and she's still waiting for him. And I'm just like, woman, what are you doing? Run. Wouldn't you run? Oh my goodness. And he talks to her. And one thing that they had agreed was that lying is one of the worst things you can do. And he thinks that people do it because they're bad. And she thinks people tend to do it because they're scared, which is exactly what she did when she lied about needing gas and told the convenience store clerk to call the police. And so, I mean... John is obviously upset with her for doing that. And he says it's his fault for trusting her. So he's like, he's got his ruby and he's reaching into his uh, trench coat or his robe. And she's just, I mean, she's obviously terrified. And she's, please just don't hurt the dog. And he pulls out the demon amulet and he hands it to her and he says, take this. It will protect you. You will never have to be scared or to lie again. And then he walks away and I am friggin' delighted. I know. Thank God the whole time. I'm just like, Oh, we like her so much in such a brief period of time and she's just going to get killed. And then she doesn't. She doesn't. Oh my goodness. Wow. (laughs) Cause we've said before, you know, when they do retellings like this, you don't know who's safe. You know, obviously we've lost Gregory the gargoyle for crying out loud. Damn it. Yeah. And, and yet you really don't know who's going to be safe. Maybe some people will survive and maybe her story will come back. That's a spell. Yeah. Yeah. So other thoughts. I still love Patton Oswald as a Matthew. Oh, yes. I really like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> if it had been me, I would have cast somebody, I guess, more serious. Like if I think back to what my internal monologue was for Matthew, what his voice sounded like in my head every time I was reading it, I think I pictured somebody more serious. But now it's Patton Oswald. I mean, he's a new Raven and he does, honestly, Matthew in the comics frequently gets irritated with Dream and doesn't understand what's going on. And, and the voice just works really, really well. Yeah. And I think we're going to get dribs and drabs of who he was before he died. I'm really curious to see, and I'm not even going to say who it is, but I'm really curious to see 
if there's any chance they could make it like it was in the original comic book, his identity. I mean, you definitely, in the comic book, you knew for ages that he must not have been a great person before he died. I mean, Morpheus has to go find the goddess of love at a strip club at one point. And Matthew mm-hmm. says, oh, wow, these places are great. I used to go to them all the time. My wife didn't mind. And Morpheus says, Matthew. And he said, okay, she might have minded if she'd known. <laughs> and that's, yeah. that was, you yeah. had little hints about that, but... Ah, uh, yeah. That's the series continues to impress me about making it compelling for those of us who have literally read these stories like a dozen times at least. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I got to the episode. Um, it's the sound of her wings. It's coming up, and yeah, uh, I a very good job. I think they did an excellent job with that. But it's it's two stories within that episode, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by what the second story is. Oh, good. Okay, yes. Yeah. Looking forward to it. So, uh, just want to mention real briefly, alright, so I'm 75% of the way through Nana the Ninth, Tamsin Muir's third book. How far are you into Oh, it? about 60%, I'd say. Oh I mean, it is, it is going faster and faster the further I get into it. It's so hard to describe this series, too. I mean, it's just Catherine's written reviews of the first two books, so that's what I would recommend. Go to pixelatedgeek.com, look up Gideon the Ninth, and look up Harrow the Ninth. And that'll give you a little idea of what they're like. Um, I feel like I'm less confused in this book than I was through most of Harrow the Ninth. Because Harrow the Ninth, I was always like, I, I still don't entirely know what's going on. Though I did get more of it the second time around. But yeah, this one, I feel like it's it's like you're having to really concentrate really hard while you're reading it. Like you're on a bike going down a hill and trying not to get out of control. I'm like, okay, I think I got it. I think I got it. I think I got it. Oh, ah. So it's really smart, but um, there's a lot in it. Yeah, the main characters and their dealings with the um, Blood of Eden uh, resistance group. Yeah. Sometimes I get lost about who was supposed to know what about whom. Like, yeah. they're they're yeah. obviously in cahoots, and they're not telling everybody everything, but I don't know what everybody thought they were when they got yeah. started or when they linked up or whatever. And it's just, oh, it is so amazing. And those dream sequences are yes. some of my favorite types of story. It's where somebody is sitting down and telling somebody, here's how it happened. And I don't know why I always love that. Anytime I'm reading a book, when someone goes into the history, I'm like, ooh, let me go get some popcorn. And it's really it's really fascinating because it's going further back than I thought it was. And they even yeah. she even lampshades at one point about some element of the world that he's talking about. I'm like, oh, wow, that was really effective to let us know. Yep, that's exactly what you're thinking it is. Yeah, yeah. And it's way, way far back. And the thing is, is that I like those kind of stories too, but you have to do them right because essentially they're a big exposition dump when Mm -hmm. you get right down to it. But the way that they're telling it is just, she's just a really good writer. That's all I can say. I mean, it's fascinating from beginning to end. And the dialogue. I love the dialogue (laughs) so much. Everybody is so freaking quippy, but not in an annoying way. Just clever writing. Really super clever writing. Uh, Only other thing I wanted to talk about. So the Laura Olympus episode where they go into the history of Minth and that whole scene where Minth wakes up after having been changed from a mint plant back to her true form, and Persephone's in front of her. And I noticed something. Persephone's hands are still pink when Minth wakes up. When Minth gets mad at her, then you suddenly start seeing the green flowing from the tips of her hands. 
And I feel like it was absolutely deliberate. I mean, because her hands are front and center in a way that I feel like Rachel was saying, look, pay attention to this. This is important. So, I mean, because she was obviously exhausted and she had that thing going on where like her hair and like partway down her arm is just covered with those leaves that look like feathers and everything. But her hands hadn't started turning green yet when Minth had been transformed. Interesting. Because I actually, I remember that scene but I didn't notice that they had been pink at the start of the scene. I noticed at the one panel that they were partially green. Mm-hmm. And so I thought whatever had been going on with her, because she said she damaged them trying to do, you know, her mother's job, I suppose, or, mm-hmm. you know, do stuff like her mother did it. So I thought we were seeing that progression, that it had actually been a much slower thing. Like, oh, this is a few months back when they hadn't gone totally green. I hadn't realized they were changing in that scene. They in were in that scene. I know. I haven't read the um, Laura Olympiad's uh, summary yet. So I need to sit down and see if anyone else pointed that out. But yeah, I just thought that was that was an interesting little wrinkle there. It makes me think yeah. the whole hand changing thing is different from what Persephone thinks that it is. Yeah, once again, I mean, I, everybody's got a different story to tell. and they got their own perspective on it. Mm-hmm. So like, mm-hmm. when the world is the real story of... Hades being so rude to Demeter. How does Hades remember that moment? I want to see that because I really think that we're going to see a different, a slightly different version. Like maybe he remembers Demeter being angrier and him having to get defensive as opposed to him just being a jerk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess that's going to wrap us up for the week. So make sure to check out PixelatedGeek.com for all the book reviews, the movie reviews, the comic book reviews, the photo galleries. Um, I haven't heard back yet on whether or not we're going to get Natasha and Lauren into um, not Long Beach Comic Con, Los Angeles Comic Con. Yeah, so yeah. Hoping for that. Now, Leland has put in that request for, uh, I think it's the holiday screaming. Mm-hmm. So we're waiting to hear on that as well. So it's funny, you know, everybody talks about convention season. And I'm like, does convention season ever actually stop? I don't think so. Not anymore. I think it used to be a summer thing, but now uh, they'll find a reason for a convention any old time. Yeah, yeah. We got to make it back to New York at some point and do a New York Comic Con. That's happening in a couple days. So. I know. Yes. And I've been seeing that and I need to finish the foam feet on my um, emoji bot costume. So anytime, the next time there's a big convention here, I can hopefully go to that one. Yeah. All that and more, pixelatedgeek.com. So next week, with any luck, we'll still be on schedule. We'll talk about another couple episodes of Lore Olympus. Um, Other nerd stuff happening in the world, I'm sure. I watched the first episode of season six of Rick and Morty, and I have some thoughts about that. Not bad thoughts, but I do have thoughts about that. Oh, okay. More than I want to get into right now. Plus, I need to rewatch it. But um, yeah, but one way or the other, we will talk to everybody in one week. Talk to y'all later.
Is anything else you want to talk about? Or? I don't think so. I think that's pretty much it. We got Laura Olympus yeah. next week. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess that will wrap us up for the week. Oh, so make oh, sure to check out. I'm, I'm so sorry. There Bye. was something. Yes, there was something about last week's Laura Olympus that I should probably mention. Oh, okay. Yeah, go for it. That was, that's it this time. Okay. Ah, nice. Okay. Are you sure? I'm sure <laughs> this time. Yes. Thank you. Well, I guess that's going to wrap us up for the week. So now I started laughing because I like, just imagine you breaking it at that moment. Go, no, we want one more thing. Don't do that. You'll throw me off. Okay. All right. All right. So I guess that's going to wrap us up. Sorry. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. I'm now sorry. I have the giggles. I do too. Damn it. I was fine a minute ago. <laughs> okay. Okay.